Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Welcome everybody, this is Ugo Che and this is the Traveling Image Makers Podcast. Today with uh, another episode we have uh, a past guest that is returning for, uh, for another interview. Our guest today is Mark Silber. Mark Silber is a best-selling author, photographer, filmmaker and producer. Uh, he has a very popular YouTube series uh, called Advancing Your Photography. And which is usually interviews with some of the biggest names in photography. Uh, he started out learning darkroom skills and the basics of photography at uh, the legendary Peninsula School in Menlo Park in California in the 60s. So as you can see, he's had a very long career, even though uh, I think uh, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, you had like a kind of a hiatus where you were working as a consultant in Silicon Valley, right? That's right. Yes, you remember that. That's true. That. And then you... Um, you studied also at the San Francisco Art Institute uh, and you moved into teaching photography in workshops and uh, you're renowned as an uh, engaging and helpful speaker, coach. Uh, basically, I think you we can say that teaching and helping people is in your DNA, right? It, it definitely is in my DNA, that's right. So welcome, Mark. Uh, how are you? Hey. I'm great, Hugo. You know, I, I have to mention something interesting. Uh, I'm uh, after this podcast, I'm going to go to the school that you mentioned, Peninsula School in Menlo Park, to give a class to their sixth and seventh grade, which is about the age I was when I first really decided to get into photography. So I'm really looking forward to that. Great. Uh, I will also mention that you love adventure. You do backpacking, surfing, snowboarding. Um, all around the beautiful area of Carmel in California, where I think that's an area we, we talked about that in our previous interview. But for people who haven't listened to that, that are new to the podcast, uh, um, it's kind of a hot spot for for photography, for photography for a certain kind. It is, you know, uh, three miles or so south of me is where Edward Weston and Ansel Adams both lived. Mm. And, uh, you know, I've shot films at both of their houses. So it's it's nice to be in that same neighborhood and, and sort of <laughs> gather, the, hopefully drink from the same well that they did. Uh, you were our guest in episode, uh, let me see, that was 95 of this yeah. podcast back in September. And uh, were you in? You just published uh, a book called Advance Your Photography. So what's what's happened between uh, then and now? Well, you know, the book um, has been very popular. I've shot some more films. And of course, I went fairly soon right into writing my next book, which is uh, the 83 Composition Tools. In fact, not only that book, but I've got about two or three other ones already in the works, as, along with a, a screenplay. So I keep pretty busy. I, I'm uh, I'm definitely into writing these days, and and that that keeps you busy. And uh, you know, as far as my future, that looks like the direction I'm going to continue to go in. 
uh, screenplay. I'm curious, what's that? What's that about? You that's write for, for cinema? Uh, yes, for cinema, and it has nothing to do with photography, really. It's about uh, a story that Jack London wrote uh, in 1913. He wrote this book called The Star Rover. And it's an intriguing story about a man who is in prison in California, and some very sort of supernatural things started to occur with him. So the story will be an interweaving of Jack London, who was a, obviously a writer. He was also a photographer. He traveled extensively and was sort of a larger-than-life character. And the, the, you know, the story that he ended up writing about this man in prison who was able to transcend and get out of this trap so you'll hear more about it as the as the screenplay progresses oh very interesting <laughs> very uh, teasing as a, it as is a, yeah interesting well, well i could well, ta i could take our whole podcast and talk about it but i think it's <laughs> yeah it's, it's a bit off topic <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about photography and maybe talk about your your new book, which um, can, can you tell us about it? Uh, what, what's the title and what, what's it about? Yeah, so the title is The Secrets to Creating Amazing Photos. It's 83 compositional tools from the masters. So, Ugo, the, the thing that I've been asked probably more than anything is how do I improve my composition? It really, no matter what camera you're using, there's only two things that you have to be in control of. One is lighting, and the other is composition. Well, there's a lot of books out there on lighting. I didn't feel like it was necessary to write another one. And I did cover it in terms of natural lighting in my first book. But composition, uh, when I started researching, I found that no one has really written a comprehensive book about composition, which is kind of amazing. You'll find pieces here and pieces there, but not all put together in one place. So I set out the task to research the different ways that one could compose a photograph, or actually any, any this is true for any visual art, for filmmaking, drawing, or painting. As a matter of fact, as I, as I dove into it, I found that you know, the master painters obviously understood this subject very, very well. Uh, da Vinci, Rembrandt, Monet, these, these artists really knew how to fill that canvas. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's been a disconnect between classical art and photography. But I found when I was interviewing, you know, many, many guests brought up the fact that they went to classical art for their inspiration. And that was true anywhere from Joey L., who's quite young, to Bob Holmes, who is much older. They both, uh, and again, lots of other people said this, went to classical art to look at how these artists used the frame of their canvas, which is just like the frame in your photograph, how they filled it, what they did with it, what they left out also is also important. And at the end of the day, I came up with 83 different formats, which you can kind of regard as tools. Yeah. Um, so the more tools you have, the more versatile you can be. Yep. And I would just like to mention that, that the examples that I see in the book, I have it in front of me right here. They're not just your photos, but you have 
quite a, a number of examples from uh, from classical art. I mean, I've seen exactly. you know, a Monet here. Uh, what else do you have? Let me see. Um, several, yeah, several from the yeah, Rembrandt. Rembrandt, yeah, some some well known painters, another less well known, um, Constantin, Gabriel. Mm -hmm. You see here an artist that I didn't know, but um, so you have both photos and paintings. Uh, yes. What's the? I mean, as a painter, you can you have full control of your composition, right? Uh, yeah. You can choose where to place your elements in the in the frame or in the painting, yep. so to speak. And you can even if they do not act, represent reality as it is. I mean, they could a painter could move things around completely freely. Uh, as a photographer, we have to work what uh, we have in front of us. So, uh, how can you, what techniques would you use to make sure that the objects in front of you fall within a pleasing composition or something that you have in mind, uh, an arrangement that you have in mind? Yeah. Well, you'll, you'll see that the, the uh, examples that I chose are very photographic in terms of their realism. Uh, one could, and I, Bob Holmes actually draws inspiration from um, abstract art. However, I really didn't go into that in, in this book. So I feel that the painters that I chose were actually looking at their scene very much like a photographer would and and they weren't manipulating where you know a tree was or, or that sort of thing but they were they were taking the subject and using again they're using their their canvas as the frame to compose with and you know let's say they did uh, take some liberties at where something was it's 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 still the the composition that they left us with is is something that any photographer could look at and say oh I see so for instance one of the techniques that um, is often used in classical art is a balance they call it a balanced scale composition where you have an even kind of balance in your frame of something on the right and something on the left. Balance is something that really is pleasing to the eye. You know, if you're trying to create a kind of a sense of harmony and beauty, having a having things in an, in an even uh, proportion is going to be pleasing. And, you know, the other thing that you'll find in many of these paintings is how they were able to also focus on exactly what they wanted to show the viewer in terms of telling a story. And that gets into a really important concept, which is how your eye enters a photograph and what does it do as it travels through your photograph. This is something I also discussed with Edward Weston's grandson, Kim Weston, that a really good photograph should lead your eye just like a painting or just like walking through a path in a garden you should be led through to see certain things and your eye should go out exactly how the photographer or the artist intended it so one of the things you want to do when you're composing and i think we're going to maybe discuss mistakes 
is make sure you don't include things in your photograph that could distract a person's eye. So if I were taking a picture of you in, in your environment, I want to make sure that I didn't have a shiny object, let's say, on the right-hand corner. Because instead of looking at your face, my eye is going to go to that shiny object. It's going to distract me from where I really want to be looking. And those are just a few examples that I, you know, I put in the book. Uh, but wh why do you think composition is important? Why can't we just uh, shoot whatever comes in front of our camera? I know well, it's kind, kind of a <laughs> I mean, uh, rhetorical question, of course. But sure. Let, let's see what. Okay, here's the way I here's the way I like to look at it. You go is you know Joe McNally talks about the language of light, and he urges his uh, students to learn the language of light and consider that it is something you have to learn just like you learn to speak another language or you learn to speak your own language. Now, composition, I kind of regard as having a vocabulary. And just like with words, if you have a limited vocabulary, you're not going to be able to express yourself very well, you know. Mm -hmm. And the broader your vocabulary is, the easier it is for you to find the right word that tells the story that you want to say. Mark Twain said the difference between the right word and almost the right word is the difference between a lightning bug, which is a firefly, and lightning. Mm -hmm. And lightning is big, bold, and expressive. And Okay, a firefly, you know, you can see it, but it's very tiny. And I think the same thing is true with composition. If you have a very limited range of how you compose, you're going to go out and pretty much take the same photographs over and over again, which I've been guilty of. I know what that feels like. It's boring. You bore yourself. If I'm bored, how is my viewer going to be interested? But if I have a wide range uh, in my vocabulary, it's very wide, and I have a lot of tools to work from, then I'm like uh, in a position of a chef who has a, a broad understanding of the kitchen, you know, how to use those different utensils and knives and so forth. You're going you're gonna to cook a better meal. In this case, you're going to come away with a better photograph. Another kind of rhetorical question whose answer might seem obvious, but I really want to uh, hear your sure. uh, perspective on this. Uh, and it is... Do we have to learn composition? And I know you would say yes. You, you wrote a book to teach composition. But yeah. uh, aren't people naturally drawn to create pleasing compositions? Because if it pleases the eye, then I should naturally, without having to learn, see something beautiful in front of me where things arrange themselves pleasantly and I'll just snap a shot of it. Or sure. there is something that needs more conscious effort in order to find the best composition yeah I think that you're you know uh, of course you're going to walk around and something pleases you you're not going to think in terms of okay what what compositional tool is this you take that photograph and that's true but I believe that your opportunities are tremendously increased by following what uh, Pasteur said chance favors the prepared mind And, you know, you can chance upon something, but if you don't know what you're looking for, you can walk right by it. Mm 
And that's an amazing thing. You'll see great photographers walk through a city and come away with a, 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 you know, a whole bunch of very interesting photographs, whereas a tourist might walk by the exact same shot and just think nothing of it and keep walking. So I do feel that whereas, of course, there's that spontaneous recognition that this is, a, this is something beautiful, you know, you could also say, well, you know, if you had stepped a little bit closer, a little bit farther, or you turn your camera at an angle, that would have made it much more interesting. So I use the analogy in the book of these being recipes. And the way one cooks, one learns to cook, is usually by following a recipe. You might, by, by chance, come to figure out a, an interesting meal just by kind of throwing things together in a hot pan. But the chances are pretty good that many of those meals aren't going to be so good. So I'm, I'm sort of hoping that people will use this as a set of recipes, not as a set of rules, but guidelines that they can work with and have fun with and really broaden their perspective as uh, photographers. I like this metaphor of cooking and I would like to, to extend it a little bit further. Sure. Uh, because I, I like cooking a little bit. I don't do much of it. But whenever I cook, I have to have the recipe in front of me yep. and, uh, and constantly refer to it and read it. Now, uh, if I see a chef on TV or something like that, uh, they don't read from the recipe. They know it That's by right. heart. Right. That's they right. can cook uh, a whole number, maybe not everything, but a whole number of recipes by heart. So when does one become the, the rules of composition or the principles of composition? At what point do they become so internalized that uh, people don't consciously think about them anymore? And they just, uh, if that ever happens. I do believe it does happen. And I think it, it, that's the ideal state to be in, which is you're, you know the rules, or really I don't like to call them rules, I call them guidelines, but you know them and you don't really have to think about them. Now, going back to the kitchen, I have a recipe for pesto that's fantastic. I'm not even going to reveal it. It's that good. But I learned it from a recipe many, many years ago, but I've, I've prepared it so many times that I can do it precisely, still following that same recipe. I just don't have to look at it anymore. But I, I also know it so well that I can play with it a little bit, put a little more Parmesan cheese in it or a little a little more basil or obviously I always put in more garlic than most people can tolerate. <laughs> so I have to watch that. But these are these are things I can tweak. And in composition, it's just kind of like that same process where um, you if you if you look at these uh, formats and you use them enough times, then pretty soon you don't have to think about them anymore. You just go, oh, okay. Here's an example, for instance, that's perfectly presented, which is diagonal lines. Diagonal lines add the sense of motion and vitality and interest. You don't see them all the time, though. You're not walking around constantly finding an example of a diagonal line. But when you come across one, you can use that as an opportunity to say, hey, I'm out taking portraits of somebody out in the environment, and I come across a boardwalk, let's say, that has diagonal lines on it. That could be a very interesting 
uh, background for my subject. So I'll say, stand over here. And, uh, you know, but I've recognized it. I know in my mind, okay, this is a really going to be an intriguing background. So when I come across it, there it is. But ultimately, getting to that level of instinctive uh, composition just comes from practice once you know the tools. So you would say that practice is the best way to, to learn composition, aside from reading your book, of course. It, it is. You know, if you look at sports or you look at uh, any professional musician or whatever, the amount of practice that they put in is tremendous compared to their actual performing time. So it might be as much as 10 to 1 or 100 to 1. And I think the thing is, if you only take three photographs a week, you're chances of having one of those be very good is probably very small. If you if you take a thousand, you're going to you're going to come away with more opportunities for uh, really fantastic photographs. So definitely, I would say the best way to learn is to refer to the book and then take examples of every one of these um, formats that I give. And after a while, you'll learn them. While I, I believe in the in the power and importance of practice, I even more believe in the importance of deliberate practice. Yes. So uh, you said, yeah, don't take three photographs a week because that will not make you grow. But even taking a thousand photographs a week, if you do it without some guidance, without some ideas of what you're trying to reach, and, and especially without some feedback from people who might tell you, well, you're doing things right or wrong. Uh, that, that's really hard to grow without that kind of, uh, uh, those kind of elements, I would say. Uh, yes. I hope you, you agree with that. Do, do you see that when, you, when you're teaching? And can people who read your book then maybe get back to you, contact you, asking questions or maybe asking some feedbacks? Uh, how, how can it work in practice for those people? Yeah. Sure. And, you know, one of the things I recommend, this goes back to my first book, where I, I talk about the whole cycle of photography. And the, the beginning and most important element of the whole cycle is called visualization, where you don't just press the shutter like a snapshot, but you first visualize what it is you're trying to capture. And really, every great photographer I interviewed said in one way or another that they, they visualize a photograph before they took it. And then at the end of the cycle, you share your work, and that's where you get feedback. It's very important to get your work out to the world. Otherwise, it just sits on your computer. But to answer your question, yes, people can hashtag on Instagram. We have quite a few of these now. AYP Club, hashtag AYP Club on Instagram. And then uh, people who are in our AYP Advancing Your Photography community can then comment on them and, and you know, that sort of thing. That's great. And people, yeah, people can reach me on my website and uh, Many have done that where they'll they'll you know ask my advice. What I the only thing is I usually say just send me one photograph. Don't me you know don't send me a hundred to look through. But I'd be happy to look at one of you know one of your photographs and give you give you my feedback. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think that's uh, very important for people to get some feedback. That is from from a true professional, from professional or not, for some from somebody that knows their, their craft and uh, can give uh, appropriate advice which is not what you get on online 
Uh, I no, have this discussion uh, frequently. It happens uh, because people yeah. post photos online. Uh, they might ask for critique or they might not ask for critique. They get critique anyway. Uh, yeah. And sometimes that critique is not good. Um, uh, so and people resent being critiqued and the critiquers resent being <laughs> totally resented. it goes back it goes around in a circle uh, they say no if you post online in a forum or so you expect to be critiqued and critique helps you grow and i always tell them well it helps you grow if you know and you respect and you trust yeah. the people that is critiquing you if it's coming from a random stranger it's, Who knows? Uh, it's hardly to be i agree seldom good but anyway yeah. I, I was digressing um yeah. uh, dark question uh please uh, give us your best three compositional tools or techniques yeah so here's here's my my best ones framing is is like going back to the kitchen that's like your your chef's knife you're going to use it over and over and over again and even though we have 83 different techniques many of them are variations on framing and there's two definitions for framing one is putting an edge on your photograph and that could be um, you know having a person in a doorway for instance puts an edge on it, and that's a, a really great way to frame somebody. Or having them leaning out a window, you get a nice frame around them. Uh, or a tree, an edge of a tree. So any of these things can add a, an element, a layer to your photograph. And that's the first thing I learned as a photographer. But it, again, it's like such a basic tool that you can look at very many ways that you can frame something. That's the best advice I can give is really explore, and again, I'll help you with the, in the book, all the different ways that you can frame something. You don't have to just think of a frame as rectangular either. There's circular frames. You can take a picture of somebody, as, uh, as you'll see in my book, walking along a, a path, and maybe there's an opening because of the tree is sort of circular. And what that does, it focuses your eye to the subject there. Uh, the next thing I would recommend is don't just shoot at eye level only. Too many people walk around and they're, you know, they're standing upright, so they're just shooting at eye level. And they neglect to move around and get from different angles. If you shoot like a child, for instance, looking down on them, they're going to look small. If you want to capture somebody, uh, one of your kids playing baseball, don't shoot them at eye level or looking down. Crouch down low and shoot up. And all of a sudden, the swing of the bat will will have much more motion in it. Um, the same thing is true in terms of, of any kind of photograph. There's many different angles that you can shoot from. You can even turn your camera at an angle, as you'll see an example in the book that I uh, I gave a, a, you know, a straight shot of some chairs, and then I turned it on a 20-degree angle, and it was much more interesting. I think the, so those are two main ones, is move around, use your feet to zoom, and uh, many photographers step too far away from where the action is. So don't be afraid to get in close. 
That would be my third point. Move around. Be active. There's uh, something I mentioned in the book. You can be a passive photographer or an active photographer. Passive means you just walk around and whatever you see, you hopefully get a photograph of it. An active photographer moves, even moves the subject. Uh, if, you're, if your subject's face is half in shadow and half in the sun and it's going to look pretty bad, move them. Move them under the tree or you know, out of the direct sunlight. You can even tell them how you want them to look. Many great photographers, Annie Leibovitz doesn't just, you know, leave it to the subject. She'll tell the subject what kind of mood she's looking for. You have to help them by directing them. And people really do like to be directed. They feel more confident when the photographer is telling them what to do, where to stand, how do you want me to look? Oh, you want me to move my shoulder a little bit in this direction? Or, you know, these different uh, points of direction will really help them and help your composition. Yeah, I love, I like being directed too. I had this uh, shoot the other the other week. I was uh, I asked a friend who is a photographer to take some photos of me for my new website. Um, he was a bit shy about directing me, probably because he thought me being yeah. a photographer, I would have something to contribute. But, but really standing on in front of the camera, I didn't really know what to do. So I please totally. tell me what to do now because I'm, it's I'm a not used viewpoint. to be in front of the camera. <laughs> That's right. And it's, you know, it's one thing to be on the photographer, you know, on the other side of the camera where you're the photographer. But when you're now the subject, you need somebody to tell you, how do, how do I look? Do I need to change my expression? Should I stand taller or should I sit down? What's going to look good? Well, in the end, we got great photos. So that if that friend is listening to the, that podcast now, uh, let him know. That's, that I'm, I'm very happy with the final result. <laughs> That's great. That's good. Um, conversely, what are the three most common compositional mistakes people make, do you think? <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, well, I think I mentioned one already, just mm -hmm. walking around shooting at eye level only. Yep. That's the That's good. biggest mistake that everybody makes. Not everybody, but most people. I make it all the time. You know, I'm walk. I'm on a, a walk with my dog, and because I'm just standing upright, I just tend to shoot from the same angle. But you got to just think in terms of all the different ways that you could shoot that photograph. The other thing is... Uh, not really looking at in terms of a visualization, like what is it you're trying to accomplish? What do you? What story do you want to tell? You can take some time and get in the what I call get in the zone. If you're a tourist, usually you're walking around and you're you're, you're trying to enjoy the city and maybe you're doing some shopping and you're talking with friends, but you're not really being a photographer. So that's a big mistake because you're going to come away with snapshots that way. And you have to make time to go out and photograph on your own. Get up early when the light is really pretty or late in the evening and just photograph on your own with no other thought. You're not shopping. You're, you're not talking to other people, but you're really concentrating and you're in the zone. So I'd say that's both a mistake and the remedy for it. And I guess the third thing is uh, not knowing your vocabulary. You know, if I go to a foreign country and I only know three or four words, I'm going to have a very hard time, to, you know, having a, an, any kind of conversation. So build your vocabulary so you're not 
taking the same photograph over and over again, which I find is another pretty classical mistake. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. Uh, I just have one more question for you, which is uh, kind of a thought-provoking question that I ask most of my guests, and it is, what drives you crazy? What drives me crazy? Computers. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't tell me my my main computer just died the other day. Uh, (laughs) Computer glitches. I, you know, I'm, I'm a happy person most of the time, but there's nothing that can really drive me crazy or even my own errors like i i've i was looking for a photograph yesterday as a matter of fact where did i store it i knew i had it and for some reason i had moved it out of its correct folder into a different dropbox and it took me 30 minutes to find it you know i just and that that kind of thing really drives me crazy cameras with um <clears throat> too much complexity i you know i i get i get very bored with all those menus so i like things to be simple and easy to to use so i guess it's it's sort of a subset of the computer problems but <laughs> i would say i would say in our modern age it's it's a be- it's a blessing that we use computers but it's also something that can dr- easily be distracting and annoying yeah can, can computers just do what we mean instead of doing what we tell them to do <laughs> I think in the future, we'll look back on our modern age. You know, the amount of tinkering that you have to do with a computer is similar to the way automobiles used to be 100 years ago. You had to fix your own tires and do this and that. And, you know, now they're pretty foolproof. You get in your car and it's usually going to work right. So I think in, I don't know, how many years, 10, 15, whatever, 20 years, a computer will just, you'll just say, find that image and it will find it for you. And you won't have to, and it will do it accurately. Yeah. I don't know if we should look forward to that moment with uh, anticipation or probably fear. not. <laughs> I know it's 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 kind of a it's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? When you have too many thinking machines around you. Right. Good. So we could talk about composition for for hours, but we can only Absolutely. hope to basically basically scratch the surface of the of the topic because it is so uh, so huge so uh, and definitely i recommend that everyone um, check out your book which i think it's already it's just being published on on amazon made available on amazon sorry not, not published but made yeah, available today. on amazon so can you uh, say the title again so I'm not making any mistakes. You can say it. And then where can people find information about it and about you, your website, your YouTube channel? Just give some Mm -hmm. reference to people. Absolutely. So the name of the book is The Secrets to Creating Amazing Photos, 83 Composition Tools from the Masters. You know, if you're looking for the book, you can go to Amazon, type in my name, as long as you know how to spell it, M-A-R-C. S-I-L-B, like boy, E-R, Mark Silber. That's actually how you can find me easily on the Internet. Just type my name in there. And you'll find my website. It's actually silberstudios.tv. My YouTube channel will also, if you, if you type my name into YouTube, uh, my channel will come up. Same thing with Instagram. So as long as you know, and I'm sure you're going to put the – spelling of my name on on your show notes just type my name in and you're you're going to find my books my youtube my website 
it's all pretty easy to find that way. Yeah, we, we will put links to all of those on the on the show notes uh, so that people who are really lazy don't even have to use Google. <laughs> there you go. But for people who are listening, because most uh, many people will just uh, listen to this uh, podcast while they are driving or on the train or uh, running or exercising, whatever, uh, and they listen, they can just... Uh, uh, type your name in a search engine, Google or whatever, and find you easily. And it's uh, Mark Silber, M-A-R-C-S-I-L-B-E-R, right? That's right. That's Great. correct. Uh, anything else you would like to add before we wrap up our conversation? Well, I do. Yeah, I have a recommendation. So, t you know, today is we're getting close to the beginning of summer and uh, there's 83 compositional tools and I have a challenge, which is take one photograph a day using the, the technique, the tools that I describe in the book. And over the course of the summer, you will have taken 83 photos, example photos. Take your best one and hashtag it, AYP Club. And uh, I'm going to make this into a formal contest because I want to see how many people really do this. I think it would be a fantastic way to improve your photography over the summer. So I hope many people will take that challenge. I should do it myself. Uh, I find that, uh, I mean, I kind of know about all those rules or techniques of composition and what I find hard to do is to when i'm when i'm shooting thinking of them and thinking of all the possible uh, varieties of uh, of things that i can do instead of just sticking to those four or five that i know instinctively and they that work well for me i should try to yeah. uh, paint outside the lines a little bit sometimes so i think that's a that's a suggestion that i should take up for for myself as well i think so thank you for that you're welcome Right, so that's really all for today. It's uh, it's been great to have you again on the show, and I hope we can have maybe another one of these uh, very interesting conversations uh, next time you uh, you have a book out, or maybe even sooner than that. Uh, sure, love to. So uh, thanks again for being with us today, and all the best for your future endeavors and books and TV shows and and everything. Thank you, Hugo, and, and uh, thank you for all of you out there listening, and I you know, wish you the best with your photography. All right, so just before closing this, I would like to uh, tell everyone that, as always, you can find uh, this episode and all the past ones at our website, ttim.photo, and you can always uh, follow us uh, on, on Facebook, the Traveling Image Makers Facebook page, and also we have a Facebook group, which is called the Traveling Image Makers Corner, where every uh, two months we have a photo contest. Uh, as for me, you can find me at my website, ucphoto.me. There we will find uh, uh, my main website and all the links to my tours and everything. And, uh, well, just uh, as, as with Mark, you can type my name in Google. Hugo Chai, it's easy. Uh, you'll find it. Uh, U-G-O-C-E-I, first result on Google. That's the correct one. 
Um, and as for my co-host Ralph Velasco, who could not be with us today because he because he's uh, somewhere on the countryside of Portugal, busy taking photos of that beautiful country, uh, you can find him online at photoenrichment.com. So that's really all for this week. Uh, uh, all the best and take care. Bye bye. <laughs>